those times. Folks, we know what's going to happen. I made a point the other day that, you know, in my lifetime, I was born in the late 60s during the Johnson administration, so I've seen the Johnson presidencies and the Nixon and the Ford and the Carter and a couple terms by Reagan and George Bush Sr., then the Clinton uh, regime, then uh, George W. for eight years and Obama for eight years and now Trump. Folks, listen, I found out one thing. God is still on the throne. And he's not scooting over because of what's happening on any side of the aisle. And I'm just so grateful for that. But it's amazing that the word tells us and prophesied that in the last days, perilous times will come. And it begins to describe those times. It says men will be boasters, uh, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. They won't have natural affection. All of these things will be happening. But folks, you know what? That still doesn't change who Jesus is. That just says perilous times will come. I'm, I'm thankful that I serve a God who does not change with the times or with who, who's in the at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or any other world regime that I can still serve the God who sits in the throne of glory. So that's why we're here tonight, because we serve the everlasting God. Uh, we're going to continue tonight in our teaching through the uh, epistle of Galatians. So if you have your Bible tonight, turn to that third chapter once again. What we've been dealing with is the issue that was facing the church of Galatia. And we've been dealing with this uh, the last few months, and specifically the Apostle Paul calling the church back to that place where Christ had revealed himself and delivered that redemptive plan for mankind. And folks, that was true then, and I think it's true now. If there was ever a time that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needed to come back to that place of fidelity and trust in the Word, it is now. There's so many uh, veins and venues and all of these things that profess the name of Christ. And folks, that's what the Word says right there, what, what he said also in, in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. He said that they'll have forms of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. And it says they'll love pleasure more than they love God. And so as men begin to build gods after their own image, I believe that it's really the task of the church is to bring people back to that truth of God's Word. Not with mixture, not with any other things, but to set our affections upon Christ Jesus and to get a, a faithfulness to the Word. So as he was bringing them back really to that, that revelation that, that he had received, I, I believe beginning uh, 14 years before even his introduction uh, to the apostles of Jerusalem, you know, this church had been birthed out of a revelatory word of God, the Galatian church. Now, let me ask you, when I'm talking about church, I'm not talking about church big C. I'm talking about church as people, not as some edifice or place that we gather or have a marquee out front. I'm talking about a church. How were you birthed? How was the church that you represent, the person that you represent, birthed? Where did you come from? What is that, that seed? What is that thing that you are that you've become? Now, now, folks, listen, my mother passed, obviously, a, a year ago this coming March. Uh, but if you had met my mother before she passed or met my dad, you'd probably, you could get us in the same room and you could see certain similarities of us. And you could say, well, I can, I can see that. Well, that's your dad. I can see where that's your, your mother. Some of you see Emerson and you see his dad. You, there, there's no question on who his, his dad is because he's just the older version of, of this young man. And, folks, it's very common. And so for us, we need to look like who he was. And so for us, if we need to get back to that place where we were birthed from, we need to get back to that one that, 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 that gave us life to begin with, and we need to get back to this word. And so that church, that church in Galatia, Galatia was birthed to that revelatory word. It, it was entrusted to Paul, but they found themselves falling under this deception of those that would somehow subvert that very message of the cross, and they would interject this condemnation of trusting once again that we talked about the law of Moses, specifically, as we mentioned, the circumcision. 
that was to provide for them uh, at least or to pr prove their right standing with God. And so this church birthed in Revelation, birthed in the Word of God. Somehow they got away from that and they were doing all these other things to somehow prove that example. Folks, that's not different than today. And so people today, they say, listen, I had an experience with Jesus. How many in here would say, by a show of hands, an honest show of hands, that you had an encounter with Jesus at one point in your life? Some many years ago, some recently, some somewhere in between. But you had an encounter with Jesus. Now, folks, listen, we can all go back to that point, And we may be able, some folks are, are so astute and have such a great memory, they can remember the, the day and the date that they, they gave their life to Jesus. You know what? I, I've been saved for too long. I can't remember. I can tell you it's about 32 years ago that I got really serious about him. I couldn't tell you the date. I couldn't tell you the, 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 the month that that was in. But I can point to that season. Some people have a, vague, a greater revelation of that. Maybe it was just a few years ago. They can tell you that. But you can talk about when you were birthed into the kingdom. And you, you know that you were. Why? Because the Spirit bore witness with your spirit that you were a child of God. Yeah, you can go through the, the, the mechanism and say, listen, I was in a church service. Somebody preached a word. It really hit home. I felt convicted. And I, I went to an altar. I prayed a prayer. You did all of those things. But none of those things, where you were geographically, the, the song that was playing in the background, or even the, 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 the particular prayer that you prayed, something was more real than all those things. All of those things just were the, 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 the product of Him drawing you by His Spirit and through His Word. And so... But after you walk with the Lord a long time, you know what? Something changes. And so rather than God validating that relationship or that revelation, still yet through that word being demonstrated in our life, it's like, listen, are you a Christian? Yeah, I go to church. Well, I didn't ask you where you went. I asked you who you were. Are you a Christian? Yeah, didn't you see the t-shirt that says Jesus on it? Sure, I'm a Christian. Well, I didn't ask you where you bought your clothing. I didn't ask you who your screen printer was. Are you a Christian? Yeah, didn't you see the, the little fish on my bumper that tells you I'm a Christian? No, I didn't ask you what, you, what, what kind of decal that you put on your vehicle. I asked you, what is it in your life that demonstrates the revelation of Christ Jesus? And folks, what we'll do is we'll substitute all of these other things. Going to church, singing the right song, having our, our, our radio station tuned to the right place on the dial. All of these things. But folks, listen. There's got to be something greater than that evident in our life. Why? Because the second the dial on the radio changes or the second that we outgrow that shirt or we get disappointed with the pastor of a particular church, is that going to affect our relationship with Jesus? Folks, i got news for you. If my relationship was built upon belonging to the right church or going to the right organization or conducting the right outreach, folks, when those things came unhinged or I got disinterested, then my relationship with Jesus would fall apart. And so, folks, that was the enormous challenge that Paul the Apostle was trying to bring them back to. Yes, all of those things are contemporary to us. But those that were doing this in the time of Galatia, these Judaizers, or the Jews that claimed faith in Jesus as Messiah, yet they still looked to the law or something else as a means of redemption. And so they were attempting to bring those converted Gentiles back into the same bondage that God had sent His Son Jesus to deliver them from. Folks, listen, I don't care how much you dress up bondage as Jesus is still bondage. Do you hear me? I don't care how much, how, what type of nomenclature you attach to it, whatever it else, if it produces bondage in something apart from faith, it's still bondage. And Christ Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly, and who the Son of God has set free 
He's free indeed. Don't again be entangled in the yoke of bondage. Whether that yoke of bondage is Judaism, whether that yoke of bondage is wearing the right t-shirt or belonging to the right church, don't fall into the trap of that type of bondage, the right denomination or the right relationships with people. If your relationship and your redemption is drawn from anything else but faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, when those things begin to shift... What's going to happen is you're going to begin to deviate from that place of faithfulness to Jesus. And so, this, this, this epistle, obviously the primary audience of this letter was Gentile or non-Jewish believers. These folks that we talked about were very familiar with Jewish customs and teachings. Why? Because they had been taught about the patriarchs. They'd been given the full uh, enchilada, so to speak, of the message of where it came from. And so Paul, he had this task of undoing this destructive nature of these Judaizers' efforts. And so he has systematically addressed each one of these issues that was present. And now, as we're going to talk about in our text, what he's doing is he's employing that very covenant that the Judaizers sought to misrepresent in their presentation with Galatians 1.6 called Another Gospel. So tonight, once again, we're going to dive back into Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9 to you tonight as we get into this. And here's what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. It says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. See, that's the whoop, whoop, hallelujah, amen verse right there. Then he goes on to say, Know ye therefore that they which are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing, somebody say foreseeing, Aren't you glad that God saw it, saw us saved? Amen. Aren't you glad that God couldn't know any different than what He knew? It says, Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel of Abraham, saying, In these things shall the nation be blessed. So them which be of the faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. But I want us to look at verse 6, uh, six tonight a little bit more closely. And it's when it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him, for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and as a result, it was accounted for righteousness. Folks, remember the last time that we met, we, we talked about the really two primary issues that were related to this. Number one, what did Abraham do? Abraham believed. Abraham believed. The very foundation of everything, it was established upon God's redemptive work of salvation, was the very fact that he believed. And so what this is, and just as you saw in our text, it was a foreshadowing of the very familiar text of the New Testament. Think about this for a second. You know this very well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You can quote it. For by grace you're saved, how? Through faith. It's not of yourself, it's not of works, it's a gift of God, so that no one would ever be able to boast. And so he said faith, they're defined in the Greek as that moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. Do you have a moral conviction of the truthfulness of God? Because we talk about faith in all of these, these, these other type of phrases and, and other type of... But do you have a moral conviction of the truthfulness of God? Because if I ask you tonight, do you have morals? Everybody probably say, yeah, I have morals. Well, what do they look like? Can you describe your morals? Well, chances are you're going to say, well, I have morals that say... I shouldn't do some type of sexual immorality. That's my moral. Well, no, that's, that's the product or the fruit of your morals. Well, I have morals. I, I, I don't believe I should say certain things or do certain things or consume certain things. Well, once again, those are the products of a morality, of a belief system 
that says, listen, the product of my belief system cannot allow me to do that. And so when we talk about the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God, it's almost something that's indescribable in human terms. Why? Because it's a reality. It's something that is so deep, it's so ingrained in who we are, that we can't even think to ourselves, okay, that, that's not just a, a list of do's and don'ts. It's who I am. Because there's a conviction that came through the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit that, yes, I do certain things or I don't do certain things as a result of it, but I am different. Folks, probably without exception, every single one of us in this room, regardless of where you came from or where you didn't happen to come from, there was a marked difference in your life between who you are before Christ versus who you are after Christ Jesus. Some people in here, you came from uh, uh, addictions, you came from, some, from all types of bondage in your life. Some people, you were just a nice little church person, but you were walking in self-righteous and all these things you thought what you were doing apart from God. But there was a marked difference that came through faith in what Jesus Christ did that you could point to that, that difference in your life that was something that maybe other people totally couldn't see it on the outside, but on the inside, that morality created a different type of motivation inside of your heart and life. Because, folks, listen, if our morality is only described by the things that we do or don't, well, the second that we can't do or don't do, does it really change that deep conviction inside of our heart? Because what if all of a sudden we decide to do something different? Have we suddenly changed who God is? Absolutely not. And so Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it said faith identified. And so anything that eliminates the, the, or, or, or brings in the effort of man to somehow produce enough good works as a substitute for the death of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, as God's only mean of mankind, is not genuine faith. And so if I have faith in what Jesus did, if my faith suddenly becomes what Jesus did plus what I do, it's not genuine faith because what I do can change. And so the, I'll give you an example. I was working in the banking industry. This was back in the in, in the in the the late '80s, early '90s, and there was a young lady that was that was there, and she was going to get married, and she came from kind of just a, a mainline denominational background, very very marginal. She she was one of these nice people, though, probably somebody that if if you just looked at her, you say, man, she probably never did anything bad in her life, and I'm, I'm sure she wasn't out, you know, doing all this carousing and whatnot. But in order to marry this young man, she had to convert to Catholicism. It's for her, it wasn't a big leap because, once again, she was very marginal in her belief system anyhow. So she began to bring all these books to work that she'd study on her break. And she had to go through, through First Communion and Confirmation, do all these things that as adults that most uh, uh, Catholic people do as children. And so as she's talking and landing, sometimes I ask her questions during break or at lunch in the break room. So what are you doing? Well, I'm doing these things. And so I began to just pose questions about Catholicism and, and ask her certain things. Not, not just to challenge some of what I felt was just the erroneous beliefs, but, but really to get her thinking about what she was buying into. And I asked her a simple question. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, what if you had somebody that you met? And I said, they always walked really upright. I mean, this is a person that gave to charity. This was a person that you never heard them said ill word about ever, anyone. They, they, they helped needy people. They were just givers and all of these things. And I said, do you think if they didn't go through what you're going through or even believe in, in God, I said, do you think at the end of their life, having done all these good things, that God would give them a free pass and say, you know what, I can't send you to hell. You are just too good of a person. She said, I, yeah, I believe a loving God would do that. And I said, so why even go through all this stuff? Just be a good person. 
Why even go through the, 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 the efforts of, of joining the Catholic Church? Why even go through these things? I said, Further, furthermore, why did God even have to send His Son, Jesus? Why didn't He just tell us all just to do enough good things? And I said, do you not see how that would diminish the value of what Jesus did upon the cross of Calvary? If we could just do enough good things to outweigh the very fact that in our heart, regardless dwells no good thing? Do you think that there's any way that we could somehow do something greater or equal to what Jesus did upon the cross of Calvary? And you know, she began to think about that. She said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I said, well, it makes total sense. I said, because if man could have done it on his own, and I took her to that verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I said, because it's never of any man's works. I said, because there's always somebody it's going to be a little nicer than you. There's always somebody that's going to give a little bit more money to charity. There's always somebody that's going to walk another person across the street. There's always somebody that's not going to say anything provocative. There's always somebody that's going to outdo you on that. I said, but there's only one that can set the standard, and that was Christ Jesus. So folks, just like the Judaizers at that time, they begin to say, let me give you all these things you have to do. Folks, don't we sometimes even do that? in the body of Christ. And so what we're doing is we're trying to spin enough plates and we're trying to do enough things to somehow get God to look at us favorably rather than saying, you know what? I'm putting my faith in what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago upon the cross of Calvary and I'm changed and transformed by that. Now folks, by no means am I saying that you can take the grace of God and use it for occasion of the flesh. Shall we continue to sin so that God's grace may abound? What does Romans 6 1 say? God forbid. There's no way. Why? Because if I really believe what Jesus did, there's going to be a reality produced of that faithfulness of our works. Why? Because the next verse right there in Ephesians 2, chapter 2 says that we're created now unto good works. There's something that de demonstrates those qualities in our life because we actually believe. How about another familiar verse talking about Abraham believed? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And you know this as well. But without faith, what? It's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must, must what? Must believe. Abraham believed, and it was accounted unto God for righteousness. But so those that come to God in the book of Hebrews must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after Him. And so without faith, not without attempting to adhere to some set of rules or standards, without faith is the foundation, it says it's impossible to please God. Not some humanistic form of faith that's revealed really just as some type of hope, but a faith that's derived only through a belief system built exclusively upon the message of the cross of Calvary. Folks, that's where faith has got to be built upon. Because there's a lot of people that will tell you that are either marginal Christians or they're really uh, humanistic Christians. They'll tell you that they have faith. And really it's not a faith at all. It's just a, a hope. They just believe that man is basically good. I'm just hopeful. Or they believe in some type of spiritual karma. What goes around comes around. And they want to derive their belief system off of this, this prevailing attitude that given enough chances or opportunities, man is going to do good. Folks, i got news for you. Given enough chances or opportunity, man will not do good. Man will do evil. Well, what's the proof of that? 
Well, the proof is 6,000 years ago, God set up man in the perfect environment, the perfect opportunity. He was the perfect father, the perfect creator. He gave them the, 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 the perfect message, and he created the perfect man. And he gave them time, and what happened? They took the perfect opportunity, and they transgressed the righteousness of God, and through one man's disobedience, sin entered into every person. And so if given an opportunity, leave your child alone. The Word says that a child left to himself or given enough opportunities is going to be what? He's going to bring his mother to shame. Folks, I have children and grandchildren. I can tell you I never had to teach one of them to disobey. They came upon it on their own. Never had to teach them to throw a fit or to, to, to get out of sorts. And I tell you what, whether it's my grandchildren or what, you know what, they're going to figure that out. Why? Because regardless of where you came from, apart from Christ Jesus, apart from walking by faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, every one of us left to ourselves to try to figure it out on ourselves, just to hope that we do good, we're not going to do good. We are. Why? Because the Spirit, when I walk in the Spirit, is willing but the flesh is weak. But if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. You know, I'm thinking about, we notice that He rewards those who are diligent in their seeking after Him. Folks, listen. True faith, genuine faith, requires a diligence and a firm commitment. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have faith that's built upon some presupposition about what God should do or what God owes you? Or do you have a faith that's built upon a diligent and firm commitment? Because any time that we cease to demonstrate a diligence, we will not be able to see the notable change or the level of faith that we should be operating in. And folks, this is what I believe 1 Timothy 4 says. It says many will depart from the faith. What kind of faith? Well, a diligent type of faith. And folks, please listen, you're never going to give heed to a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devil. You're never going to depart from a genuine faith unless you cease to be diligent about that. Folks, listen, have you ever noticed when maybe there's a time in your life, man, that you were really pressing into God, then all these life's distractions begin to hit you? Maybe a calamity or something happened in your life, or maybe you just got busy with work or, or a relationship or something else, and you cease to be diligent in your prayer life. You cease to be diligent in reading God's Word. What did you find yourself doing? slowly but surely getting seduced away from the faith. Folks, I see it all the time. And it's heartbreaking when you see it in people's lives. You can see it. What do they begin to say? They say, listen, well, I just don't really see it that way anymore. Well, how could you? You've departed from the faith. Well, listen, I, maybe I just believe a different doctrine now. Well, it's because you believe a doctrine of devils. Well, maybe just, you know what? Maybe I just, I'm, I'm just seeing a different path to God. Well, you have to. Why? Because that's the only way that you can justify your lack of diligence. Folks, listen. Probably on one degree or another, every single one of us has found ourselves guilty of that exact same thing. We cease to be diligent, and so we look everywhere else but the simplicity of the cross of Calvary to establish some type of pseudo-faith or belief system that really is no longer representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that could be legalism, as the case with, with what was happening here, or the modern-day Hebrew roots movement. This could be easy believism, as another thing that we see, or the, the hyper-grace 
movement that just says, listen, that you can do whatever you want to and God is just going to turn the other face because it's all about the love. It's never about righteousness and justice. It can even be things like, like, like Calvinism, for instance. It says, listen, at the end of the day, we don't have any choices that, that there's this, this double predestination. God's already chosen those that are going to get saved and thus He's already chosen those that are damned. So at the end of the day, we're just kind of going through the motions anyhow. So folks, anything that eliminates the genuine message of the cross of Calvary is going to cause us to depart from the faith. It's going to be so easy for us to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that at the end of the day, they put the emphasis upon us. In Romans 10, 17, another one, you know this well. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so, faith isn't something that's obtained by some type of spiritual osmosis. And so, I'm just hanging around it enough, and so, maybe inadvertently or accidentally, somehow faith is going to get me. It's the reality of discovering who God is by the revelation of the Spirit of God to man. Why do I know Him? Because He revealed Himself to me. I don't know who God is. I don't have a revelation of Him because I studied for enough years. Period. I could search all those things in the flesh and never discover God. Why? Because you find people all the time. Well, I went to seminary, and you know what? At the end of all of these years of my great education, I finally came to the conclusion that really I don't believe. Well, you were looking everywhere else. You were looking in the pages of a book rather than within the heart of God. Folks, listen, I know people that can read that Bible and never see Jesus in it. They can see it, and what they've done is they've, they've, they've somehow gotten lost in information, and it never produces an intimacy in them. And so it's like having a conversation with somebody and, and, and you're, you're talk, two people are talking to the same other person and one person gets offended and one person says, well, I don't know why you got offended. Because I knew what they meant. Why didn't you know that, what they meant? Well, because you don't know them. And so, folks, when we know God and we believe God, then we know that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after Him. And so it's not something that we just accidentally get, but the trap is attempting to redefine faith in order to fit into a belief system that's contrary to the Word of God. And so you ask people today, that do you have faith? Well, I'm, yeah, I have faith. Well, where did you get the faith? Or what do you have faith in? Well, I asked somebody that in my office. This was years ago when I was pastoring in Texas. A guy came in and he needed some help. And, and I just started talking to him just like I normally would. I said, do you, do you have any faith? He said, yeah. I said, where'd you get it? He said, I got it from Mama. I said, you got it from Mama? I said, Mama, like you have a box on the shelf? And you said, Mama, I need a little bit of faith. And she just sprinkled a little bit over your hand. No, no, no. I just, Mama had faith, and so I got faith. Folks, listen, Mama faith isn't going to get it done. TV preacher faith isn't going to get it done. Pastor of your local church faith isn't going to get it done. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by God's Word. And folks, listen, I'm, when I'm talking about God's Word, I'm not just talking about something bound in leather in, in 66 books that we call the uh, canon of Scripture. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? And so before anything got printed on a printing pre press and got distributed to the masses, got translated from Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, Folks, it was in the beginning. That word was there. Abraham didn't put and handed some gospel track on Bourbon Street. That ain't how he does. He heard God. God who was from the beginning spoke to him and he believed what he heard and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So folks, what's our excuse? What's our excuse for not having righteousness put on our account? Because that's what it meant. 
It meant something was deposited into you that did not inherently belong to you, that you did not do anything to earn it. And so he heard and believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And so faith comes from hearing, right? Hearing from the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who was the Word made flesh? It was Jesus. So faith comes from hearing from Jesus. So where do you get your faith? Well, I hear from Jesus. And so, do you hear from him? Does he speak to you? Folks, that's why I've always adopted that thing that I say to people, whether it's on the street or in the church. So, what has the Lord Jesus been speaking to you lately? Well, you know what? I just haven't been able to hear him lately. So you don't have any faith. Well, I've got faith. I just didn't hear it from Jesus. Well, where'd you get that faith from? Because he's the delivery agent for faith. And so, folks, listen, whether you're here, whether you're listening to us on the Internet, or whether you hear it on a recording some of the time, if you're not hearing from Jesus, you're not walking by faith. Because you cannot have faith apart from hearing Him. Because He is the Word, and faith comes by hearing the Word. And so if I'm not hearing from Him, obviously, A, I'm probably not in the Word. And if I'm in the Word, I'm not reading it from a relationship. I'm reading it from religion. Because if I am hearing from Jesus, the word that I read on a page is just going to echo what he's saying into the spirit of a man. Do you hear me? And so it's always just going to confirm what he's going to speak to me. Why? Because he's deposited not just some abstract thing called righteousness, but he's deposited himself inside of my life. And so if at this moment the Bible was stripped from me and I was locked in a cavernous place with no light and no written word, it should not diminish the fact that I'm still going to walk by faith. Do you hear me? Why? Because that's what it means. I've hidden God's word in my heart. Folks, i got news for you. David did not have the King James Bible. He did not have an NLT or an NASB to go to. He hid that revelation of that spoken word that God had given him into his heart so that he would not sin against him. And when you see David in his life, when kings go out to war, when kings are obedient to what God said, he didn't find himself in that place. He was sitting there up on top of his housetop. That's when he fell into the sin with Bathsheba. When he removed himself from a faith of obedience and dedication and diligence in seeking God, he removed himself from a place of faith. He removed himself from hiding God's word in his heart. And so he began to sin against God again. Folks, it can happen in any of our lives. And so I've got to stay close to that place of revelation in my life. 1 Peter 3.12 says this. It says that the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, who are righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is turned against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3 and 12. And so folks, most of the time when one is not hearing from God, it's because they moved out of his presence. You hear me? If you're not hearing from God, it's this easy. You're not in his presence. See, I can sit in my office on the second floor of the training center. We're here on the third floor tonight if you're watching but if I'm sitting in my office on the third floor of the training center and I want to have a conversation with my wife, Melanie, right back here, who's in our first floor apartment, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to open my door. I'm going to have to walk down the hallway. I'm going to have to go down a flight of steps. I'm going to have to open the door and I'm going to have to get into her presence. Then I'm going to have a conversation with her. What if I'm sitting there at my desk and I'm saying, you know, honey, I just want to talk to you about something. You know, I was just wondering about something. I'm looking around and I'm saying, why ain't she answering me? 
And I bumped into her later at the park, and I said, well, why didn't you respond to me? She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, I was sitting at my desk talking to you. She said, well, you were having a conversation somewhere that I wasn't. She said, if you wanted to talk to me, you need to get where I am. Folks, listen. If we think for a minute that we can be in rebellion and have a conversation with God, or if we can be in fear and have a conversation with God, or if we can be somewhere that He's not and have a conversation and expect to hear from God, folks, the only thing that's going to close that gap, just like I would close the gap from the second floor to the first floor, is me getting up and moving and changing my position. It's a change of mind. It's this thing called repentance. And so for us, if I want to get where God is in His presence, repentance closes the gap. Why? It changes my position from a place where I'm in the flesh to a place that I'm in the Spirit where God can begin to build my faith up. And so for us, if we're not hearing from God, the key is to unlocking that door and making that trek down the stairwell is the thing called repentance. Repent. And then I will see the, the accessibility of God's kingdom in my life. That's Matthew 3, 1 and 2. Repent for the kingdom is accessible. But the only way the kingdom is accessible, and there's no kingdom without a king, and Jesus being the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the author and the finisher of our faith, is to close that gap from whether it's fear, doubt, unbelief, whatever that place is, rebellion, to find ourselves into His presence, then what begins to happen? He begins to once again to build up our faith and now we can have a fruitful conversation. Abraham believed. Abraham what? Had faith because he made sure that he gave God an audience when God spoke. Do you give God an audience when He speaks? Have you ever been thinking something or doing something? And man, you just kind of heard God in the distance. It'd be like me yelling down the stairwell at, at, at Mel, and she recognizes the tone of my voice. I'll give you an example. Sometimes we're in the house, and you know with these acoustical tiles, have you ever noticed sometimes when you're just talking in this building, that you can hear somebody, but you don't really understand them. And so what do you do? You close and say, and I tell her that all the time. She said, can you not hear me? I said, well, I can kind of hear you, but I just can't understand you. Let me open the door. Let me get closer to you. Folks, we do that a lot of times with God. God's speaking to us from a distance, and we recognize that there's a certain tone. We just don't know what He's saying. Folks, you know what that is? That's God drawing. That's called conviction. And so for us, we've got to get to that place where, man, we hear Him in the distance, but now we've got to close the gap. That's why Abraham had faith, because he made sure that he gave God an audience. And so it wasn't, listen, God, I know you're out there because I hear the alarm going off. But God, I want to put myself where I'm up close and personal with you so I know exactly what you're saying. One of the things Melanie does, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm getting past this. She's like, listen, when I'm talking to you, I don't want you looking somewhere else. I want you to look at me in the face. I want you to see my mouth moving. I tease my daughter Kelsey sometimes. It drives her crazy. She'll be talking to me. And I'll look at her, but I'm intentionally looking above her head. If you let me look at you, Courtney, say, hey, Courtney, how you doing? And you know I'm kind of in that same vicinity, but you know, you know, Clear and well that I'm not actually making eye contact with you. Doesn't that drive you crazy? Hey, Waylon, good to have you here tonight, brother. You're like, I'm right here. Look down about six inches. Folks, we do that with God sometimes. We're looking in His general vicinity just so everybody else will think we're looking at God, but we're not making eye contact. That we're going to church, we're putting ourselves in that general vicinity, we'll sing the song, 
We're in that general vicinity, but when it comes right down to it, we're not really making eye contact. Folks, what drives people crazy sometimes, and I laugh about this on the streets, I get people getting mad at me on the streets all the time because I look at them. I'm sitting there talking to witnesses and somebody said, man, why are you staring at me? I'm not staring at you. I'm just having a conversation with you. Don't you want my undivided attention? Dude, why are you just trying to burn a hole through me with your eyes? I said, I'm really not. I just want you to know that I'm not distracted by these 50,000 other hoodlums out here. I'm just looking in, into you right now. Folks, because we're not even used to that conversation with somebody giving us that undivided attention in human relationships. And so as a result... Man, we get uncomfortable giving God that type of attention, undivided and undistracted as well. But he believed God because he gave God an audience. So he believed God, but not just anything about God. He believed what God was saying about what God required in order to have a relationship with him. So he believed God, but he believed the right things about God. Folks, you meet people all the time. You say, well, listen, I believe in God then the shoe falls. But, not necessarily, well, then you don't believe God. It'd be like somebody going to my wife and saying, hey, listen, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm married to Troy Bond. And say, well, I know Troy Bond. And they begin to tell her stuff about Troy Bond that she knows after 30 plus years of marriage. And sure, they're like, no, 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 no. You don't really know my husband or you wouldn't say that about him. Sure, I know him. No, you don't know him. Because I know him. I live with him every single day. I've been with him since... I've known him since we were 16 years old. I've been married to him since we were, we were 19. And we're both about 50 years old. So we've been each other. So I really do know him. But folks, what happens in people's lives is... Listen, they want to tell you about a God... That's everything contrary to what His Word says about Him. Folks, that's building a God that looks like our flesh. That's the error in the book of Exodus. Let's make a God that we can worship, that we can follow. And so he believed that God would provide an heir. We saw that through the incarnation of Isaac. He's talking about Abraham again. We, with, with the birth of Isaac, the incarnation of Jesus demonstrated. We believe that he would provide a perfect sacrifice. We saw that when he told him to go and sacrifice Isaac. We believe that God would demonstrate the, the resurrection. And even though it had been those three days that there was a ram in the bush, he said, don't, don't kill yourself. So he believed all the right things as well. And so Abraham's belief or faith was not just some arbitrary belief system built upon some mystical idea derived from hearing some weird uh, uh, spiritual voice. His belief was built upon a clear and systematic revelation of God's plan of salvation. So what is your belief system built on? Is it built upon some ooey-gooey experience that you had? Folks, do you like the ooey-gooey experiences? Do you like the chill bumps? I kind of like that stuff, don't you? Don't you like sometimes where you get the warm and fuzzies? But folks, i got news for you. My relationship with Jesus is not built upon those things. Because I can get warm and fuzzy in the flesh. But I can't be righteous in the flesh. I can get warm and fuzzy by uh, uh, seeing my favorite team score the, the winning shot or the touchdown. I can get warm and fuzzy over that. But I can't get righteous over that. And so Abraham's belief system was built upon some a systematic revelation of who God was. Have we got any passionate people in here? Do you consider yourself passionate? Everybody's always afraid to answer, raise their hands and ask questions. Is this the trick question? Anybody consider themselves passionate? Now they're putting their hands up like, ah, let me see if I am or not. Folks, I believe in being passionate. But you know what I believe in being more so? Principled. Because I know people that are passionate that aren't principled. 
And what I mean by principled is, listen, I've got a belief system, something that I've got to adhere to, regardless if I feel like it or not. And I've got to do something, and it doesn't have anything to do with me being passionate about it. It doesn't have to be anything for me to be, we'll use another word, we'll use motivated. It's not because I'm motivated, it's not even because I'm passionate every single day. It's because there's a principle that's at work in my life. There's a systematic revelation of who God is that no circumstance, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, is going to knock me off that course. Folks, I see people all the time, especially people, quote unquote, called to the ministry. Man, they get passionate about a cause for a while. Man, I'm passionate about that. Man, this is my lifelong call. I'm going to go to whatever country this is, or I'm going to go do this type of ministry. Then you're looking for them a few years later, and it's like, what are you doing? Well, you know what? God changed that. Did he? So he was just like messing with you. He had you get all of that experience, get all that training, put all of that effort into it, and God was just messing with you? Oh, yeah, you know how God works in mysterious ways. I'm like, dude, you just don't know God. Oh, you were passionate about something for a minute because it met a need that you had. But what happens when now your obedience has to meet a need that God has? Folks, now we know whether we're walking by faith or not. Or we're just walking by feeling. Folks, listen, I can tell you in all these many years of, of ministry, fortunately, I've been passionate for a lot of years. But I tell you what, there are seasons... Of utter darkness, period. Of times that, that our life, that we found ourselves in some of the most uh, terrible circumstances. Flat, broke, no place to live, but still having to be obedient. That we were feeding the hungry and having to go hungry. We were preaching to lost people and, 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 and literally hoping that our electricity wouldn't be turned off the next day. Was it because everything was rosy? We thought, well, we must be walking in the favor of the Lord and all of these things are happening. No, because there was something so deep down inside of us that we could not allow our circumstance to dictate our obedience. We couldn't allow the fact that we were passionate or unpassionate or motivated or not. Man, there was a principle inside of us that caused us to say, come hell, come high water, come disappointment. Though none go with us, no none's behind us, you know what? Man, we're going to do it because God gave us a word. And that word became our reality. And if we deviate from that, we're just like everything else that we've stood against all of our lives. Folks, that's where the rubber starts beating the road. And you find out whether or not you're actually walking by faith or not. Abraham believed God. And what did it do? It was accounted unto him. For righteousness. Folks, that is so huge and, and, and so enormous for us. Because we talked about belief. And I want to believe. Don't you, don't you want to believe? Don't you want to have that, that, that conviction? Don't you want to have that principle in your life? Because when you do, it becomes an accounting for you for righteousness. So here's my question. Do you believe God? Yes. Right? Not the trick question time. But what is it that you believe? And how much value do you put on your belief? See, that's the kicker. Yeah, I believe. What is it that you believe? Well, I've asked that question a few times. It's like, 
Well, what do you believe? Uh, I just kind of believe it. You know, we get that sometimes. That's why people are afraid to raise their hand. But how much value do you put on what you believe? Folks, isn't that the, the key for everything in our heart and life? And that third question is really important how much value because this. If you're writing notes, write this down if you can. The value of your belief will be revealed through the level of righteousness that you're actually walking in. The value of your beliefs, you can put faith in, in, in parentheses, the value of your belief will be revealed through the level of righteousness that you are actually walking in. You ever notice somebody spends, saves up and maybe they saw that new car that came out and they always wanted one? They wanted that shiny, maybe that new Camaro or whatever it was, new Honda, whatever kind of car, new pickup. You ever notice when they first got that thing and had all this value on it? That they would walk a hundred yards into Walmart. They'd park way out there and nobody, they'd park sideways in the parking places and make sure nobody got around it. Why? Because it had value. Well, the value was reminding them every time that they had to mail that payment at the first of the month. They saw the value in it. But if you have to, they know they had it in a few years, they got a few door dings, and the kids threw a little junk in the back, and didn't stay as clean as it used to. I mean, they'd squeeze into the tightest spot that they could get to and find themselves walking out like that. Hmm. Why? Because they didn't have the same value that they had on it. Or maybe you got that, you saved your money up and you bought that nice pair of sneakers. Every time you took them off, you'd go home and you'd, you'd wipe all the debris off and make sure the bottoms were clean. Remember that when you do that? You didn't want anything on them, then after a while, man, they looked just like every other piece of junk in your closet. Why? Because you didn't have the value anymore. Folks, that's the thing about people's relationship with Jesus. And so when we come to Christ, we value that. We tell people about it. We want to keep it clean. We don't want anything to, to, to rub up against it. We don't want anything to, to, to somehow in, 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 in impugn its value in our life. And after a while, man, we just park it right up next to any old rotten thing. Because it just becomes part of the furniture that's in our life. Think about this. Romans 4.18 says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed... And so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so your offspring shall be. Another translation says this, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Abraham kept believing. See, that's a wow moment for me. Even when there was no reason whatsoever to hope, he still hoped. Folks, that describes the value of his belief system. His value wasn't, uh, wasn't based upon what he saw. It was based upon what God said. I don't, in the natural, there's no reason whatsoever for me to hope except that God told me to hope. He told me to believe. Only believe. And so for Abraham, even when there was no reason for hope, he just kept on believing anyway. Folks, I know people that have claimed a relationship with God, but as soon as they didn't see a reason to believe anymore, they stopped believing. Or when things didn't line up the way they expected them to, they didn't have a belief system. Why? Because their belief system wasn't a belief system based upon a principle. It was based upon a momentary passion that met their need. 
Rather than them saying, listen, I'm not in this relationship. I'm not walking by faith to meet my need. I'm walking by faith to meet the need that God has for me to worship Him and follow after Him. Folks, those are those things that become the evidence of an unfailing love and devotion. And so personally, I want my faith or my belief to be such that even when there's no, absolutely no reason and no apparent basis for it, I still do it. Why do you do what you do? Folks, listen, there's a testimony right here tonight. You guys know Waylon. I don't think he'll, he'll care, mind me sharing with this. Folks, 21 years ago, my wife and I and seven other people loaded up in a borrowed Chevy van with no seats in it, drove 15 and a half hours from Amarillo, Texas to New Orleans and started preaching in the French Quarter. Okay, We had a tremendous time. It was an epiphany. God did something in our hearts and lives. But people told us, why on earth would you drive all those miles for that? Is it even worth it? We kept coming back. 2003, we left a church that we had pastored for 14 years. The community that we were raised and married in, raised children in, came to New Orleans with really no genuine relationships, came struggling, came broke, but came principled because God had spoke to us and started preaching in the midst of what some people call a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. Is it even worth it? Why do you do it? Because there was something bigger than people pouring water on your head. There was something bigger. There was a greater reality than being cussed out all the time. There was a greater truth. There was a greater revel. There was something that compelled us because God's Word had impelled us. We had been pierced through by the Word of God and we could not escape the point of the spear of God's Word. It was sharper than any two-edged sword. It became that discerner of the thoughts and the intents of a man's heart. We, we were pierced through. We were impelled and so we were compelled. Well, back in, what was it, 2012, Waylon came up the street. I began to talk to him. He began to share about losing his wife and his daughter, Allison, when she was 16 years old to Hurricane Katrina. Offered to help him. Kelsey talked to him. We offered to help him. He was indifferent. But he could not, as a testimony to him, he could not get away from the Word. Not Troy Bond, not, not Kelsey. But he couldn't get away from what had spoken to him. And so even though he rejected, there was something greater than just that momentary experience or conversation that we had at the 500 block of Bourbon Street back in 2012. There was something that got a hold of that man's life and began to deal with him. Now, you guys know him. He's been to the Bible study the last couple of weeks, coming to church, and here he is sitting here tonight. Why? Because we looked at the crowd or because we believe what God's Word says, that He'll leave the 99 sheep that never went astray. And He'll go to that one that went astray. Why? Because there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven when that one lost sheep comes home. than over the 99 that didn't. See, Wayland's why I go. See, I can't speak for anybody else. But when people told me it wasn't worth it, I guarantee you He'll tell me it was worth it. Do you hear me? And so those are the things that transcend whether or not I'm passionate about it for a particular time. See, that's where faith comes. I know in 2003 when God spoke to Melanie and I and it says, I want you to leave. Kind of like, like hearing the Macedonian call. I want you to come over and help us. I know that in 2003, I had to believe God. I had to, to diligently seek Him. I had to obey God. Why? Because in 2012, He needed me to be in a position of obedience to speak the Word to Him. So what if it had just been about a, 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 an experience in February of 1996, and I got my evangelism fixed? 
And I just said, well, I'm passionate about that, but now I've got other things to do. And that's all I would have been built upon, rather than a principle that Jesus looked at the multitudes and He was moved with compassion upon them. And He said, I'm going to send laborers into the harvest field. I pray, because the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. But we'd say, well, we did that. Let's check that off. Now we can do something else. Man, what if he had to walk down an empty street and the only people compelling him were the barkers in front of a strip club or some other desperate soul that had, that had abandoned the faith as well? What if that would have been the only thing that somebody would have encountered? See, folks, that's where I want my faith to be and that's where I want it to stay. And I praise God that every once in a while he'll send the fruit of that to come by and remind you, son, that's why. It had to be more than just passion. It had to be built upon a principle that changed everything. That all of your ambitions had to go by the wayside. All of your plans of man had to go by the wayside. All of those things that you thought were more important than just obedience. What if you had to justify those things? Where would he have been that night? So see, that's where I want my faith to be. John 20, 29 says, Jesus told them, he said, you believe because you've seen. He said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Is your belief only built upon what you see? Because even though Whalen rejected the gospel in 2012, I didn't change my obedience because of what I saw. I wanted to stay obedient because of what God said. Because God's faithfulness is bigger than your disobedience. You hear me? So I want to walk in lockstep with that type of faith so it can be accounted unto me for righteousness. Some people say, I have to see it to believe it. I've heard it, and, 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 and that has produced faith. Some people say, listen, I, I, unless I see something, I can't believe it. I don't believe people really believe that at all. That's why I've always said there's a greater reality than what I see and is what God has said. So, do you believe? It's my question once again, because that's what Paul was directing these folks towards. Do you believe? Well, let me see it in your victory then. I want to see it. I want to see your belief. Not in your words, I want to see it in your victory. Do you believe? Well, let me see it in your faithfulness. Let me see your belief in your patience. Let me see your belief in your willingness to endure suffering. Let me see your belief in your obedience in your endurance. Let me see your faith in your self-sacrifice. Let me see it in your integrity. Let me see it in your servanthood. Let me see it in your giving. Let me see it in all of those areas that really manifest whether or not we really believe. Because I said the value of my belief will be revealed through the level of righteousness that I'm actually walking in in those areas of my life. And so right belief produces Righteousness. When I believe the right thing, then I will be in the right place in my relationship with God. When I cease to believe the right things, my relationship with God will begin to look like those things. I see it all the time. As soon as they stop believing the right thing, what happens? They begin to digress and begin to let be led astray. Abraham believed, but he just didn't believe anything. Abraham believed the right things. Father, tonight in this place, Lord God, Father, we want that to be our testimony. We don't want to just believe 
that we want to believe the right thing, Lord God. We want to be passionate, Lord God. But Father, below, Lord God, the surface passion, Lord God, we want there to be a principle, the principle of believing, Lord God, in what you said and what you did. Father, your word says the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Lord God, in the face, Lord God, of tumultuous situations, Lord God, we don't have boldness. But Lord God, upon the foundation of righteousness, believing the right thing, Lord God, believing you, Lord God, the word made flesh, Lord God, there becomes something inside of us that's emboldened. So Father, tonight, Lord God, that's what we desire. We want a revelation, Lord God, that comes from you. A revelation bigger, Lord God, than what meets the needs of our flesh. But, Lord God, a revelation that produces the righteousness of Christ Jesus in our hearts and lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen.